This is the next in our series of talks from the Gospel of Mark. And this week we're in Mark chapter 4. And our passage is verses 26 down to verse 34. So Mark chapter 4, 26 to 34. I'll read the passage. Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or get up, the seed sprouts and grows. Though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. The last two verses of the passage link with some of the things that David said in last week's talk. And I'm going to start with those two verses because I think they set the scene for what we're going to be looking at this week. Last week, you might remember, we were looking at the parable of the sower. And David made some general points about the Lord's use of parables in his teaching. The Lord used parables earthly stories with a heavenly meaning um, because they help explain concepts which otherwise would be very difficult for us to understand. Secondly, he used parables to conceal the true meaning of his teaching from those who didn't want to learn, those who were there for other reasons, those who weren't really interested in spiritual things, those who were the Lord's enemies. As Jesus said in verse 23, which is one of the verses that David took us to last week, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. So the truth about the kingdom of God will only be revealed to those who are truly seeking. So, as we saw last week, after Jesus told the parable of the sower, um, his disciples which were the 12 and others who were interested, really wanted to learn, they came to Jesus and asked him what the parable meant. And we can read the explanation that the Lord Jesus gave them for ourselves in the verses that follow. This week, we have a couple of parables before us. And interestingly, we don't have the Lord's explanation. All we have is that comment in verse 34, which um, assures us that when Jesus was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them, everything to them. Um, so we have um, explanation, an explanation um, in um, the scriptures, or we can find that explanation, but we have to do a little bit of the legwork ourselves 
um, because it's not recorded for us in the Gospels. Now one final point about parables. Um, parables which were something which were um, taught, um, given to us by the Lord Jesus in an age when there were no newspapers to record what people um, had said and there was no TV or videos posted um, online. Um, parables gave us something which would preserve the essential <coughs> teaching of the Lord Jesus um, and would make them, uh, that teaching memorable. So parables are memorable um, stories. It's like the, the famous fable of the, of the tortoise and the hare. Um, not a Bible <laughs> illustration, um, but a story that we probably all heard when we were little, when we were children. Um, and we can retell the important elements of that story today, can't we? In our own words. Um, we don't need to remember the exact text of the original story, the original fable, because the illustration is so vivid, we can remember that lesson, um, even if the detail of the way the story is told might vary depending on who's telling it. Another thing that goes with that, I think, is that as children, we might only have a basic understanding of a story like <coughs> the tortoise and the hare, but as we get older, we develop a deeper understanding of those same stories, which is why um, you, we, we, we probably all heard or maybe even used some of these childish stories, uh, like the tortoise and the hare, to make very adult points. I, mean, I can remember in quite serious business meetings, um, people referring to the tortoise and the hare, or um, saying things like, it's, um, it, it's, it's an emperor's new clothes moment, or, it's, um, or, or something about the, um, the, the child you know, crying wolf. Um, and I think it's the same with the parables. Most people who heard them would remember them for years to come, many years to come. And whether or not they were among those who heard the Lord's explanation for them at the time, or whether they heard the parables um, secondhand many years later, there was the opportunity for those who knew the interpretation to teach those who didn't. And my point here is just to say that the Lord's use of parables was for a number of different reasons and the way he told them and why he told them. And we should be careful when we look at a parable that we don't assume that every part of it has some profound spiritual meaning in, in all the details. Some of the detail of the parable might be simply there for the sake of good storytelling to make the story more memorable. Or it might be, and I think David made this point last week, sometimes it was to make it resonate more with his audience. Remember the Lord Jesus, we assume, was teaching, talking to some people at least who were farmers and they would have understood very well the life cycle of planting and growing and harvesting that we got in that first parable. So we don't assume that every detail in the parables is, telling, is teaching us something, but neither should we assume that it isn't. Because the Lord, of course, we know, was the master um, storyteller and the greatest of teachers. And therefore, I think it's probable that all of the parables can be read and understood at different levels, depending on our spiritual maturity. Let's look at the two parables now in our passage um, a little closer. We'll read the I'll read the first one again. So this is verse 26 down to 28. 
He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. So, a few points um, I'd like to suggest to you from um, that parable that you, um, you might have noticed anyway. Um, four points really I'd like to make. Firstly, the farmer has no idea how the seed grows. So clearly he is not the cause of the growth. It's a seed and the inherent properties within the seed and the soil in which it's planted that holds the secret of the growth. And all of that is under God's control. Ultimately, it is God and not the farmer who makes the seed grow. And that's true of real farming today, isn't it? You know, the farmers can use all sorts of clever farming techniques and new technologies, but ultimately, it's God who makes the seed grow in his intelligent design of the world that we live in. But it reminds me of what Paul said um, about growth in the early churches. He said, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, What after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, only God who makes things grow. So that's my first point. Secondly, verse 28, Jesus describes the process of the seed growing. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And perhaps we should understand from that, or at least be reminded, um, that there is a process in spiritual growth from unbeliever to believer to disciple to varying degrees of maturity and competence in handling God's word. A process and there's also an order within the process. The stalk must come before the head, mustn't it? Which must come before the full fruit bearing. It's kind of like that saying we can't run before we can walk, although sometimes we might try and it all ends up in disaster. Um, and I think maybe that's the same with spiritual growth. There must first be genuine repentance and belief. Then there must be an understanding of the basic doctrines. Then there must be a taming of our, our old nature to at least start to live according to those basic doctrines, what God wants from our lives. And then as we mature, we can develop the gifts and our service and our knowledge even further. There's an order um, to it all. And I guess, being the kind of impatient people that sometimes we are, sometimes we try to book the order. You know, we try to get things in a different order or we want to try and get to the end of the process before we've gone through all the steps. And Paul spoke about that in 1 Corinthians 13. He said there are certain people who try to do Christianity in a different order. He says there are some who have or claim to have um, knowledge and faith and spiritual gifts, but without love, which is one of the basic qualities of Christianity, they are definitely not a mature Christian. Clashing symbol sounding gong, he said. 
that's my second point. Third point um, is the process of growth starts before the, star, the stalk appears. Now, the Lord doesn't make this point particularly, but you say when the Lord's speaking to farmers here, they, 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 he would, they would understand that the story has perhaps got more detail even than what the Lord Jesus um, gave, or maybe there was more detail actually given and it's not all recorded. But the process of growing starts under the ground. The initial growth is invisible, which is not only true of um, the spiritual growth of individuals, which the parable of the sower um, focuses on that we were looking at last week, but in its wider application, it's also true of the kingdom of God. Because Jesus introduced these two parables that we're looking at this week by saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Most of his life on earth, Jesus was almost invisible to the public eye. And then when he did begin his public ministry and he started to preach that the kingdom of God was near, it was a relatively small ministry. It was in a small corner of the world. And after three years of teaching, he had gained only a modest following. And then he was taken and crucified. And his disciples thought that the whole thing had come to nothing. But what they couldn't see, what was invisible to them at the time, was the unstoppable force of God's will. Jesus was sowing the seed. And whilst it didn't look like much uh, at the beginning and his enemies thought that they put the whole thing to a, to a halt, uh, the fruit of Christ's work was already growing and as we know, has become the greatest harvest of all. It's like uh, most of our gardens at this time of the year, I think. Um, our garden looks pretty awful at the moment, everything's dead. Um, but a few weeks ago I was clearing a whole load of leaves that I'd, I'd just allowed to just build up on the borders. So I was kind of like, had my big leaf grabbers and I was grabbing all these leaves and then I realised I had to be a little bit more careful because as I lifted the leaves, the leaves that were already all over the place, bulbs already had broken the soil and were all, all coming up, all hidden away um, behind, behind the leaves. I think we can take encouragement from this, that in all our service for the Lord, uh, there will be times when there seems to be no fruit, and there may be setbacks of one sort or another, or the fruit might be there, but it's very small and it's disappointing, but what we can't always see is the work that God is doing underneath. And God's work will always achieve um, its purposes, and one day what is hidden will become fully visible. So that's my third point. And then the fourth point I'd like to make is linked to the last one, and it's about patience. Because when we have confidence in the way that God works, even when we can't see the results, then we should be able to have the patience of the farmer in the parable that we've just um, we've looked at. Um, because in verse 27, it tells us that this farmer just keeps on going about his daily routines. He works, he goes to bed, he gets up in the morning, and he does it all over again, even though week after week there is nothing to show for it. He sees no results. There's nothing that he can do to make the plants grow any quicker. Uh, he can't force the results. 
All he can do is play his part in the planting and then maybe in, in watering, as Paul was referring to. But all he can do is wait and leave everything to God to give the increase. Even when the, when, when the initial signs of growth start to appear, he still needs patience. Um, because you notice, unlike the second parable, which we'll come on to, but it's, uh, in the second parable, the Lord just seems to focus on the results. Um, in this parable, he seems to drag it out a bit. He says, first a stalk, then the head, and then it's a bit more and a bit more, and eventually, eventually the grain, the grain is ripe and it's time, it's time for harvest. So I think it's... What I see in this is an encouragement to have a trusting patience in the outworking of God's plans and to know that he will do everything and bring everything to full fruition in his own way and in his own time. He's given us a role to play, um, like the farmer sowing the seed, but as long as we know that we've done our part uh, faithfully, we can be sure that God will use our service to achieve his own ends in his own time. Um, James um, really makes the point too. In James chapter 5, uh, he writes, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. So four points from the first parable. Let's move on to look at the parable of the mustard seed. It's often described as a companion parable to the first one. Um, I'm going to read it again from verse 30. It says, again, he, Jesus said, what should we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. The first parable has quite a lot more detail than the second, but I think that the parable of the mustard seed adds the one important thing that we don't get from the first parable, and that is scale. First parable refers to planting of seed, doesn't tell us how much. It refers to the harvest, but it doesn't say how abundant the harvest is. But in this parable, the one of the mustard seed, we see Jesus describing something which is very, very small, but the growth is incredible. The mustard seed, as Jesus said, is the smallest of seeds. The seeds are so small that we just don't expect anything to come from them. And people have said that, and we, we could think that about the kingdom of God in its small beginnings on earth. Jesus, a poor carpenter from Nazareth, begins to preach that something is near, the kingdom of God is near. But he was despised and rejected, and many of his early followers gave up on him and turned back. Um, and, and as I said earlier, he was taken and he was crucified. And the whole thing seemed to end in defeat, but in Acts chapter 1, we read, after his suffering, after all of that, Jesus presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs 
that he was alive. The whole movement was not dead. Jesus was very much alive. And it says he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about what? He spoke about the kingdom of God. And what he taught, we believe, um, became the apostles' teaching and the foundation of the message of the kingdom of God being preached all over the world uh, for the last 2,000 years and millions and millions and millions of people coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their own personal saviour. The growth has been incredible. So, to conclude, um, within these two parables, I think Jesus has given us a combined picture of the kingdom of God being like this. Firstly, it grows through the planting of seeds and the subsequent growth. We've got a role in that planting. It's a privilege, it's an honour. God has given us something to do. But the growth is all down to God. And how God does that really is beyond our understanding. And sometimes his ways might puzzle us, but we just have to trust and recognise that God is in control. Secondly, like a plant, spiritual growth is a process. It goes through several stages of development. There's hearing the word, believing, understanding, trusting, lifestyle change and the fullness of Christian service. And although some of those phases might overlap a little bit, the order of each stage is, is still important. And for example, expecting um, significant lifestyle change before there is full belief and repentance and understanding is likely to be unfruitful. So as sureness of the gospel and teachers, um, we should make sure that we focus our efforts and our teaching on people at the stage that they are at in order to take them to the next one. Third one, God, God's work is often unseen um, and we should remember that whenever we're sharing um, the gospel with friends and family and it seems to fall on deaf ears or in our various church outreach activities we seem to get a lot less fruit than we would, we would, um, we would like or no fruit at all we should remember that God's work is so often invisible to us, but that's not to say that it isn't going on underground, so to speak. Fourthly, our service for the kingdom is a work that requires patience. And as I said in, um, in the first three points, if this is God's work and there's nothing we can do to influence the outcome of God's will, then all we can do is focus on what he has given us to do, and that is the planting and to trust God for everything else. And the fifth point and final point, I think, that comes from both the parables is, firstly, from the first paragraph, the harvest is inevitable. It's presented to, I know in the real world, and often the, uh, the parables are presented in an idealistic way. Um, they're not meant to be a textbook for farming. Um, you know, in the real world, crops do fail. But in the, the way it's presented to us in the parable, the farmer goes through that process and the harvest is inevitable. So um, there is nothing that will prevent the kingdom growing according to God's will. In the second parable with the tiny mustard seed, we're just given a hint of the scale of growth that one day will be seen 
If you've ever thought that you're part of something small and weak or something that is on the decline, just try to remember that the harvest is inevitable and that the scale of the, of the harvest will be immense. We're getting closer, aren't we, to the day when the Lord Jesus returns. Whether that's in our lifetime or not, we, we can only speculate. Um, but we know that we're getting closer to the day when the Lord Jesus will return, when the King of Kings will be on the throne, and when there will be a new heaven and a new earth and the beginning of a new age, and when we'll no longer be farmers sowing the seed, but we'll be enjoying the fruit of the crop forever with the Lord in the future kingdom of God in all its glory.